Thank you, Willie. You uh, mentioned graduating in uh, 2011. That was a few years after me. Um, I am the first graduating class of the millennium, year 2000. And so grateful um, that Willie is here at IRBC. I remember the first time we really ever connected was when you were an intern. And talk about building lifelong friendships at camp. Uh, Willie, I love him to death. I love him and his wife. And, uh, and we are good friends. You guys want to answer some trivia this morning? <clears throat> well, you don't have a choice. I'm going to give you about 10 seconds to turn to your neighbors to get to the answer. I don't necessarily need you to shout the answer out to me, but I want you guys to know uh, the answer. And so for, for 10 seconds, turn to your neighbors and find out who was the 12th president of the United States of America. All right. If you guys came up with Zachary Taylor, you would be correct. Zachary Taylor served one year as our U.S. president, and he died of health complications. Um, now, you guys probably don't need the full 10 seconds for this, but see if your neighbors know who is the governor of Iowa. For our Minnesota, Missouri, Illinois, and Wisconsin friends, it might be harder for you, but Kim Reynolds has been serving as the governor of Iowa since 2017. So here's one that everybody should know because you all went through this class in school. What is the diameter of the earth in miles? What's that? You're a little off. The, uh, who had 7,917 miles? Did he use Google? Or are you just a brilliant man? Um, for some of our smarter individuals, how many squares are on a chessboard? I heard it over there. 64 squares on a chessboard. Last question for your peers. Last question for your peers. Who was the disciple that took the place of Judas? That is, that is in Acts, yes. Matthias was the disciple. Can anybody tell their neighbor how Matthias became the 13th disciple? They cast lots or, yep, they cast lots for that. So being at camp, it can be a little more difficult to answer trivia questions because you're not encouraged to use your phone. If you have your phone, don't use it. That's, that was Willie's request for us. Uh, but you can use Google, Siri, whatever, to help you find some good answers. Um, actually, I would say that if you ever have questions, there's three good tools that you have at your disposal at most any time. The first is the Word of God. We have the Word of God physically, we have the Word of God on our phone, and we can go to the Word of God to seek answers and truth. Uh, we also have people. We can turn to the people around us. We can ask them how many square miles is the earth, how many squares are on the chessboard, who's the 16th president of the United States. And by the way, I knew none of those answers except for the last one. Um, I just randomly Googled things that I didn't know, so that way I was in the same boat as you. And we can, we can, we can, so we can go to the Word of God, we can go to people, and we can go to uh, technology. We have technology. We can ask our phone how uh, to answer a certain question. The danger about the last two, people and technology, is that they are flawed. The first, the Word of God is not flawed. The last two uh, are very much flawed. And so we really have to be careful 
where we go for truth when we're trying to find the truth. I was watching a video several years back in this, uh, this series of clips came to my attention. I'm just like, wow, I cannot believe the answer that technology was programmed because it's technology independent and thinking for itself. No, it was programmed. Somebody behind the computer told it what to say. So this video is a couple years old, and so some of the questions and answers are a little bit different. So if you're like, well, I just asked Siri, and that's not the same answer, that's okay. People in technology have realized that their answers were hogwash, and so they, they changed. But take a listen to what technology says about Jesus. Why do we turn to technology for truth? Who's Jesus Christ according to Alexa? A a fictional character. What I didn't show you was the other almost 20 minutes of that video where they ask about other false gods and they have all the answers for who they were and how amazing they were. But when it comes to the one true God, Jesus, they don't want you to see truth. Just this last year, um, there was a certain website you could go to, and AI would help you write anything you want to do, and it, and it was going to answer anything. So if anything has changed, AI can help us find truth, right? By the way, that is a great way of asking questions. Well, who created that? Who created that? Who created that? And we can get to the, the, to the answer through good questions. And um, Although I do not personally believe that Ben Shapiro is a believer. Actually, I, I'm, I know he's not. He's, a, he's a, a Jew that does not believe that Jesus Christ is uh, who he is. And so he is an Orthodox Jew. And so you can pray for Ben. Um, he needs to come to know the Lord. He does believe in, in a God. And uh, so we, we get to today's, oh, we'll back up there. What we get to today's lesson, and, and what I want us to focus on is that why is it that too often when we have problems in our lives, it is so easy for us to turn to those around us first? I remember uh, when I was in high school, I asked my youth pastor the most profound question a teenager can ever ask their youth pastor. When do I know she's the one? And you know what he told me? The Bible really doesn't talk about dating, so I can't really give you any biblical advice about dating. But what I can tell you is the Bible tells us how we need to interact with other people. So as long as you're acting biblically with her, um, I can't really give you any other advice. And so I just remember for many years of my, my, my teenage life having absolutely no clue what the, what the whole interacting with, with girls was like biblically. And I'm just like, well, the Bible doesn't use the word girlfriend in it at all or boyfriend in it at all. So therefore, I can make up 
whatever I want. And as long as I'm not doing A, B, and C, I'm okay, right? Uh, we can talk later. The Bible actually talks about relationships in detail of, of how to handle people you're not married to and what you should do when you're married to people. But so often we turn to people that are around us for all the answers and we don't go to God first. Well, what about this situation or what about that situation? How do I answer this question? And I heard the contenders up here and and I guarantee you a few years ago they had to ask God a very a very real question and, and what college should I go to? Some of you are going to have to choose what career path do I want to do or some of you are are just trying to figure out tomorrow and that is fine. Well, let me encourage you today through this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 8 that we need to make sure that we're not looking to what others have to say as the ultimate truth, but that we need to look at what God says is ultimately good. Now, if you're following somebody who is following God and seeking their advice and seeking wisdom, that is absolutely what God calls us to do. And we should seek advice of other people. And we should give advice to other people. But as we talked about yesterday, that advice has to be founded on the cornerstone, the foundation, the pillar of truth. As you open your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 8, you're gonna, we're going to be jumping into a story uh, where uh, the, the prophet Samuel uh, is interacting with the people of Israel and the people of Israel, and, I, and we have to be careful, for those of you that grew up in the church or, or know the story of Israel well, we have to be really careful not to be too hard on Israel saying, well, they're dumb. I would never have done that if I was then, because we are just as sheepish today as they were then, and we have the holy inspired word of God that's complete. They were literally living day by day, learning who God was and growing with who God was. And so we can learn a lot of really good lessons about who Israel is. Let's just be careful not to be too harsh on them because we are just as guilty of the exact same things that they are guilty of. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we, we see that Israel is looking at all of the peers around them. They, they see what the nations around them have, and they like it. Me likey. You know, I don't, you guys are too young for Mikey likes it. Uh, an old cereal commercial. You can Google it. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Um, I will, uh, I'll have to confess that I like new things. Now, some people like vintage things. Some people don't care about new things. Um, I unfortunately have to, to truly battle with this idea of new things. Um, I like hunting. And every year around hunting season, I turn on YouTube. And I YouTube all the hunting videos that will help me be the best hunter that I can be for whatever animal I'm hunting. And that can be a good resource. It can also be a very dangerous resource if your name is Rob. Because I'm watching them and they're hunting and they have all of these things, all these tools, all these devices, all these gadgets, all these clothing. And I'm like, oh man, if I have that, I can be a better hunter. And if I'm a better hunter, I can be a better provider for my family. And so when budget time comes every month and my wife wants to know, why in the world did I spend that money on what I didn't need? Didn't the clothes you have last year kill the same animal? Oh, but dear, if I want to be a better hunter, if I want to be a better provider, I need that. And I start to justify my actions in that way. And that's a, that is a real struggle for me. You can really pray for, for me, especially as turkey season is coming right around the corner. I don't need that extra mouth call. I don't. Uh, but God is, is, is truly working on me through that. So Stephanie, when you're listening to this later, I love you and keep me in check, keep me accountable. Here we see that the Israelites are looking around and they see that they don't have an earthly king. And let's dive into to what the passage 
has to say in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judge over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and his name of his second was Abijah. They were the judges of Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned after, their, after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your way. Now appoint to us a king to judge us like all the nations. First point I want you to see is that good intentions are not a substitute for godly wisdom. You notice what the elders said? They said, Samuel, you're getting old. And that wasn't a dig on old people. Okay? You're, you're getting old. You're, you're so godly in your, your wisdom and your direction, and we're not going to have that much longer. And these two boneheaded children of yours are idiots, and, and they're leading us astray. And because we want to be so godly, we want to be so godly, would you give us a king so that we can be godly? And you see how they are manipulating what's going on. The problem is, is who is their king? God. God has been with Israel since day one. God has been the deliverer of Israel since day one. God has been the protector of Israel, the provider of Israel. He has been their king, and he desires to be their king. And the elders say, Samuel, you're so wise, you're so godly, and we just really, we just want godly people around us. So we just know that if you grant us a king, then that king is going to be godly and he's going to lead us. That sounds pretty good, right? Don't we want godly people around us? Absolutely. But God is their king. Now, where in the world did they get this idea that they needed a king? They looked around them and they saw other nations that had a king. They were looking outside of God himself and they saw what they liked and they started to desire it. It's really easy in our culture today to look around and see things that we like. And once we like it, we want to pursue it. And once we pursue it, we have now gone down the rabbit hole of that and pulled ourselves away from the direction that God has called us to. The elders might have had all of the best intentions. Maybe they really did want godly leadership. We know that the two sons were not godly. But, that, but it reminds me of another story about a man by the name of Job who, who also had some counsel. Now, if you've ever heard the story of Job, you'll know where I'm going with this. If you've never heard the story of Job, let me recap it a little bit. There's a, there's a real angel, a real fallen angel by the name of Satan, Lucifer, the devil. You may have heard of him. And he goes to God and he, he's, he's going to attack those who believe in God, and God's like, hey, have you ever considered my servant Job? And he goes, you can do anything but kill him, and through a process of devastation, he loses his children, he loses his wealth, he loses everything except for his life. He has bad boils, and I mean, it's just absolutely everything you can possibly think that happened to him happened to him. His friends, at the very beginning, they, they hear of all the evil, and they come to comfort him. They come to mourn with him. And scripture says for seven days and seven nights, they just weep with Job. And that exactly is how we need to be a friend to others who are going through a difficult time. We don't need to have the right answers. Because guess what? We don't have the right answers to the problems they're going through in that moment. If I can give you a word of advice for those of you that have had a friend go through a difficult time, don't say, that's all right, God, God will use it for his good. It's true, 
but that's not what they need to hear in that time. Or, oh, don't worry, you'll get over it. Healing will happen, yes. But when you are in the midst of mourning and grieving, even if it seems silly to you, it's real to them. It's a real emotion to them. And these friends came and they mourned and wept with Job. And it says they didn't even speak for seven days. You don't have to have the right answers when you see your friend hurting. Be present. Just be there to love them. Because what happened was as soon as Job's friends opened their mouth, they became absolutely horrible counsel. They started saying things like, well, Job, you wouldn't be going through this if there wasn't sin in your life. His wife, she wins the wife of the year. She's like, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? It's a great wife. Put that on your uh, resume for looking for this wife. Later on in, in Job, um, God has a few words to say about Job's friends. The Lord said to, uh, to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. We can be a good counsel to others, but we have to make sure that when our counsel to others is present, that we are pointing them to the truth of what God says. Job's friends were not speaking truth of God. Job was not suffering because of any sin that Job was going through. Job was suffering to prove that he was worthy, that he was righteous. It was proof to the devil that you don't have to buy out a person for them to follow you. The end of Job's story is pretty cool. He, he, he has more children, his, his property and his wealth blows up. But here's the thing is Job had no clue any of that was ever going to happen. And scripture says when he was in the midst of all the difficulty, he didn't sin. He did not sin against God in the midst of his tragedies. When we turn our focus to God, we can offer great encouragement to those in need, helping those suffer to see God at work. And this is exactly why it's important with who we surround ourselves with. Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Who am I spending time with? Am I, am I walking with people who are just wicked people? They are not God-fearing people, that they are absolutely doing everything that God says. Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of the sinners. Who am I surrounding myself with? I'm not saying don't have unsaved friends. I'm absolutely 100% not saying that we need to love all people. But who's my closest friends? Who's my confidants? Who's my counsel? Nor sit in the seat of scoffers, those who ridicule and mock God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So you want to be wise, you follow God and his truth and his word. Because as we studied yesterday, it is infallible, it is everlasting, it is alive, it is our pillar. The bottom line is we need to seek God and stay clear of those who are not of Christ. I wish I would have taken this advice when I was a little bit younger. Uh, but how many of you love listening to your mom and dad tell you what to do and, and how to live and give you the advice of the old person? Yeah, well, good. I'm glad you like to listen to your mom. I, I didn't. Me and my mom did not exactly have the best relationship growing up because it was always her fault I got spanked. It was never my fault. I mean, I never did anything wrong. It was always her fault for telling my dad. So she was a big tattletale. So it was always my mom's fault. But if I look back now, I realize that they were pointing me towards truth. They were using discipline in my life to, to bring me back to truth so that I would walk in the way of the Lord. 
Some of you don't have parents that show that love. But you might have other adults in your life. Somebody loved you enough for you to be here. That person loves you enough, absolutely. Your counselor loves you that much. Seek their wisdom as they seek God's wisdom. I remember my parents would always say, uh, be careful who you spend time with. Be careful who your friends are because you're going to end up just like them. If your friends jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? Probably I would have because it would have looked cool. But here's the problem is when I was younger, I didn't make my decisions. I didn't make my choices based off from what I ought to do. I, I made the friends I made because I wanted to promote myself in the, in, the, in the standards of the world. I did not want to promote myself in the standards of God. I didn't choose friends that would lead me to God. I chose friends who would lead me down the path I wanted to go. And so for almost 10 years of my life, I walked away from God because my heart was hardening more and more towards God because I was surrounding myself with people that were pulling me in that direction. Because I didn't care what God wanted, I only cared what Rob wanted. When the Israelites looked for another king... What they told God was, you are not a good king. You do not know what's best for me. And that's what we do in our life when, when we do our own thing is we're telling God that his plan is horrible. Willie's testimony this morning was 100% correct. God doesn't make mistakes when he created you. You are perfectly made in his image. And I'm very grateful that we have such a diverse creation in this world. It doesn't matter how tall you are, how short you are, what color you are, what disability or ability you have, because guess what? We are all flawed people. But there's one perfect, and he's the one that we need to seek counsel for. Because we can have all the best intentions, but that does not substitute godly wisdom. The friends that I chose, I knew did not love God. The friends that I chose, I didn't care that they didn't love God. My, my heart did not break for them because they gave me what I wanted. I was very selfish. And that's where we see this, this question that I have for you that brings up our second point is, does it break our heart when those around us blaspheme God by their actions? Let's take a look at this story in 1 Samuel, starting in verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, for they have rejected me from the king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even until today, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they were also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the way of the king that shall reign over them. Samuel was broken. God these people want to reject you. you please give me, give me some wisdom. Give me some insight. Help me steer these people back to you, God. I want them to go back to you. And God says, no, I'm going to teach them a lesson. I'm going to teach them a lesson that they will never forget. And I need you to be my mouthpiece. But before I give them over to what they want, I want you to warn them. I want you to warn them of the dangers of following after other gods. In this case, they were seeking another king. This last Tuesday, I had the privilege of being a part of our North Iowa Pastors Fellowship. And, and Pastor Jason from, from Clear Lake had this, this challenge from, from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And we're going to read them 
in just a minute, and it really just, it pricked my heart. Because the questions that Jason asked me were questions that I should be asking myself all the time, and yet I don't. Let's read this passage real quick in First Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for the kings and all the high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles is faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Here was the convicting parts that were brought up. Do I care enough about my friends? Do I care enough about my community to pray for the lost souls? Do you care enough about your community? Do you care enough about your friends to have your heart broken when they are walking away from the Lord? Listen to the sad reality of their destination. Eternal fire. Outer darkness. Weeping. Gnashing of teeth. They will be absent from the presence of the Lord forever. Eternal punishment. Lake of burning sulfur. Torment day and night. Worms will eat them, but they will not die. I do not say these things lightly. But unfortunately, this is the sad reality of the majority of the people that you will ever know will have that destination. Do we care? Do we weep? Samuel hears the, the, the journey of the Israelites. They're seeking false gods, and he goes to God, and you can just hear the weeping in his voice. But do we care? Do you care? Do I care? And the sad reality is, is we can come to camp and we can talk about God and we can talk about his love and we can talk about his salvation and those are all amazing things. And, but when we go back home, yeah, we might have a conversation with a friend about Jesus or whatever it may be, but do we actually take time to pray for them? Pray that their eyes would be open to truth. Pray that their heart would receive the truth. Pray that their lives would walk in the truth. When we reject God's plan for our lives, we see that there are consequences. And God told Samuel, I want you to go and I want you to warn the people about what is going to happen to let them fully see the picture of what's going to happen if they choose to reject me as their king. So listen to this warning, starting in verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will, rule, who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them as to, to his chariots and to his horsemen to run before his chariots. He's going to take your kids, he's going to take your boys, he's going to take your sons, and he's going to put them in his military to do his bidding. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow the ground and reap the, reap the harvest and to make his implements of war. So he's going to use your children for war. He's going to use your children to make tools of, for farming and for war. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. So he's taking everything from you. He's taking and giving to his servants. 
He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flock and, and you shall be his slave. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. It's a pretty bad warning. What do you think Israel's going to do? Fortunately, not make the right decision. God lays this warning out. Hey, I'm offering you something good. I'm offering you something perfect. I am the king of your life. If you choose to reject me, these are the consequences. And the very last part, he says, Israel will turn back to me. They will cry out to me, and I will not listen to them. There's four times we see, four, four aspects uh, in Scripture where we see where God will not listen to our prayers. He always hears us. But if these four things or one of these four things are true in our lives, he will not answer you. When we choose to hold on to our sin rather than to change. Proverbs 28, 9. If anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, even their prayers are detestable. That's humbling. God, why are you not answering me? Well, I know I have this in my life, but I mean, come on, God. I, I, I'm a Christian, so you have to answer me, but you know, it's just this little sin I'm holding on to. If anyone turns a deaf ear to my instructions, even their prayer are detestable. Secondly, when we ask selfishly, this is, this is where I'm guilty. Not that I'm not guilty of the first one, but when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Growing up in youth group, I'd always hear, ask and you shall receive. I'm like, okay, God, give me a hot wife, which he did, but that's different. God, give me a 1995 Dodge Viper blue with pinstripes down the middle. God, why didn't you answer my why didn't you answer my prayer? I thought you said, "Ask and you shall receive." You will give me the desires of my heart. Well, because that's not his desire. That was my selfish desire. I wanted it for me. I wanted it for my glory. The third reason why God does not listen to our prayers is because we don't ask according to his will, which ties into the other two. 1 John 5.14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The fourth aspect is when we don't ask in faith. Mark 11.24 says, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. But it all goes back to it is God's will for it to happen. So what about the times where we ask God, we are truly asking God with our heart, God, would you please do this? And we completely believe it is in God's will, and he is still not answering us yes. What about that? Well, there's two other answers God can tell you. One is wait. You're not ready yet. Where you are in your faith with me, you are not ready for that answer to be yes. Or he could say, no, that is not my ultimate plan. I've shared this testimony before. I don't know how many of you have heard it, but I had an uncle several years ago uh, pass away with pancreatic cancer. It was a quick going from the time he was diagnosed to the time he went to be with the Lord. And for the first period of that time of him being sick and being in the hospital, we would always pray, God, will you please save his life from death? Will you please heal him? And a Facebook post that my uncle posted probably a, was like a couple weeks before he passed away, he shared a testimony of how, how, because of how much time he had to spend in the hospital and his nurses in his care, he had the opportunity to share the gospel with every single one of them. And he said in his testimony that I, would, I never wish to have this cancer to be removed from my body if it opens doors for me to share the gospel. 
sometimes God says no because he has a bigger picture that we can never see. Now, there are certain things that happen in your life, and I cannot tell you why they're happening. I don't know why certain things happen, but I do know that God is not blind to that. But we cannot, in our finite mind, comprehend a God who can see all eternity in perspective. When I was a um, young college student, I had a friend, 17 years old, driving to church, turning into her church. She got hit on the side of her vehicle and she died. She was one of the biggest witnesses for Christ. Why would God take her away from this world? At her funeral was the entire high school. At her funeral, the gospel was presented. And at her funeral, many, many, many people came to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I guarantee you she would die all over again if it meant that her testimony of God would reach hundreds and hundreds of teenagers and many accepted Christ. We can't always see the bigger picture. We must trust that God is there. But we see here in this passage that when we turn our, our deaf ears to God and we decide that we want to ha- do it our way, that there will be consequences. Consequences for Israel were simple. You're going to lose a lot of things. You're going to serve the king as a slave as long as he is your king. And trust me, when you understand the, the path of the Israelite kings, majority of them were horrible. And God warned them. And there were consequences. And that brings us to the sad reality of the final point of this message. Is God will give you over to your desires, and that's a dangerous place to be. Continue with me. In verse 19, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like other nations, that our king may judge us and go outside, out before us and fight battles, because God never did that for them, right? They're, they're, They're losing perspective, but remember, we can't be harsh on Israel because we fall into the same category. We turn a deaf, eye, a deaf ear and a blind eye to God all the time. And when Samuel had heard all these words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. Don't touch that. A parent will tell their young child, as the child approaches the stove, looking over to see if mom or dad are looking. Don't touch that, you will get hurt. The child sheepishly looks and makes sure that mom and dad aren't looking and they get closer to the stove. They reach up and they touch the stove and they burn themselves and they go and they weep and they wail to mom and dad and mom and dad comfort them to the best of their ability but nothing will take away of the pain of their disobedience. The love never went away. The love never changed, but there is a consequence. And when God allows us to go into our sinful, selfish desires, it is not a good thing. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. God is perfect. He's holy. He's pure. He cannot stand anything that goes against his character. So he absolutely detests anything that's ungodly, anything that is unrighteous, and anything that man does against God. He doesn't hate the people. He loves the people. It's his desire that none should perish. But because he gives them over to their desires... It's a very dangerous place to be. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Huh. So what does unrighteousness do? It suppresses the truth. For what can we, 
For what can be made known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for darkness. For, sorry, for claiming to be wise and becoming fools, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And then verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them to their debased minds to do what ought not to be done. It's a dark place to be. Don't misunderstand that just because God is allowing you to do something does not mean he desires you to do that something. God is all love, and part of his all love is that he is never going to force you to do anything. Everything he gives you is your choice. And just because you get to choose it does not mean it is the right thing to do. I used to think that way. Well, God, if you really don't want me to do this, you'll stop it from happening. Man, that's a really dangerous place to be. God will give us over to our darkness and our hard hearts when we ignore him, when we no longer seek him. You see that in, 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 King, in King Pharaoh with the Egyptians, right? God gave him all these chances and, and God, his heart was hardened, his heart was hardened, his heart was hardened, his heart was hardened, and he ended up losing his firstborn son. It's true in your life, it's true in my life. But it doesn't have to be that way with us. Because Scripture says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness does not have to be our identifier. Because those that are in Jesus Christ are no longer unrighteous, but they are made righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ that is in our lives. He does not look at you, Christian, those that have said, I believe that Jesus is who Jesus is, and I am going to follow him. When he looks at you, he does not see that sin or that series of sin. Yes, he knows about it, and it breaks his heart. He sees the righteousness of Christ poured out on you, and you are no longer unrighteous, but you are his child. You have life. And forgiveness brings us in a right relationship with the Father. When my children disobey me, do they belong to any other family? Do they lose their, their sonship or their daughtership to my family? Absolutely not. But they do hinder their relationship with me. They do hinder their trust with me but they never change their love from me. And our Father is even a million times, billion times more loving of us as his children. Unfortunately, only his children can be seen as righteous. And you may have heard the fact that, you know, the, the, the term, the phrase that we are all God's children. That is not true. We are not all God's children. Only those who accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior are adopted into the family and are called the children of God. Before that, do you know what I was called? Do you know what you were called before we accepted Christ? We were called his enemy. But cool thing is, is God loves his enemies infinitely too and gives them the same opportunity to escape death and darkness he gives them the, the same path. 
But eventually their heart will be hardened to the point where their last decision to say no will be their final decision to say no, and they will have to answer their call. And none of us are promised tomorrow. He will cast out our sins as far as the east is from the west. He will make us whole again. The question is, are you willing to truly seek God's plan that will bring you hope and a future? I would encourage you this weekend to be really searching in your heart where you are with the Lord. Why would God ever, ever let you into his perfect holy home in the perfect presence of the Lord? There is an answer. There is truth. There is the truth, and that's Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through me. What are you going to do with that? And for believers, don't follow the wisdom of the world that is going to pull you away from God because eventually God will give you over to your debased minds, and that's not a good place to be. Search your heart. Ask God to search your heart. God, is there anywhere in my life right now that I am not walking step in step with you? Please show me. And thank you for your promise that you have already forgiven me. I want to be on the same page as you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your perfect plan. I thank you for your perfect sacrifice. Thank you for your holiness. I thank you for, for stepping out of heaven from your, from your holy home to be in a personal relationship with us as flawed human beings. I thank you that you put these true stories in Scripture about your people who have made bad decisions because we don't have to make the same bad decisions as them. We can learn from others' mistakes and we can see your, your love and your mercy and your grace and how many opportunities you give to us over and over and over again. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that we do not have to be known by sin, but we can be known as your child. Father, I pray that we would seek you first. I pray that we would seek your plans first. I thank you for the work that you're doing this weekend. I thank you for the work that you're going to do in each one of our lives, even as we go from here. Father, I pray that we would choose to follow you. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.